Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing today? I want to welcome you guys today and all of those who are joining us online as well. Um, we're in a series in the book of Acts. Like, if you've not been with us and you're new, then this is new to you. But for everybody who's been here, uh, we've been journeying through now many weeks in the book of Acts after Easter, looking at this unstoppable movement we're a part of called Christianity and how it first started. And the movement of what God did in that day and time was powerful. So if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 15 this morning. Acts 15 verse 4. Um, you know, so for me, many of you guys will hear this over and over because my second passion to Jesus is strength training. But I did everything wrong. When I started getting into strength training, I didn't understand how the brain works, right? Like, like it's not like I, you can be creative with this stuff. The, the brain works a certain way. Our bodies work a certain way. And I didn't understand that your brain sends signals to your muscles and then the muscles respond to them. I just didn't think about that. I literally thought, because I love to do cardio and basketball, that if I got, if I got weights and I lifted as, as fast as I could and as much as I could and did a bunch of different ones and went nonstop for an hour and a half, I would look like a superhero. And so I'd go in the gym and I would create my own stuff. And I'd do all this. I was sweating. I was just tired. I, and I did this for month upon month upon month. And guess what happened to my body? Nothing. And I'm looking around these other dudes who are like, walking to the gym, you know, like they're Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm thinking like, what? I, I am sweating. I'm killing myself. And these dudes look like dudes and I don't. What gives? And it wasn't until I actually understood how the brain works. I was like, okay, so the brain, what, how it does is this. You have muscle fibers, two different ones, just two. So I got to remember this morning. And two signals. So when you strength train and you're focused and you're really going through the motions and you're you're, you're growing in your strength, your brain sends a signal and it says, make this person stronger for next time. But if you're doing something like cardio and you're sweating, the brain says, make this person faster for next time. And a matter of fact, store some fat because they're going to need it because they're traveling long distances. Two different signals, two, two totally different outcomes. One's going to actually end up making you store fat in the long run because your body's going to adapt. The other one makes you look like the dude. And so I had to understand that it changed everything the way that I thought because I had the wrong signals being sent to my body and I wasn't seeing the right results. You're wondering, why, why is this got to my strength training in church? What does this have to do about the Bible? Well, let me tell you this. As believers, as followers of Jesus, can I tell you something? With two very important works in our life called works of grace, we, we do the same thing. We end up sending mixed signals we get the signals mixed up, two very important signals. And if you get these mixed up, it's going to really hurt you and your faith. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to be very judgmental and critical to others, always looking down upon them, always not understanding what it means to really follow Jesus. And this happened, if you think this happens today in, in, in our church and in churches around America and the world, it happened in the first church, the early church, the very first church ever, New Testament believers. And what happened there, what we're going to look at today, is the central point to the New Testament. If you don't know the Bible very well, or maybe you know it very, maybe you're a scholar in here, today is going to unlock to you how to understand most of the New Testament, because it was the greatest struggle of the early church. Now let's back up how this all started. A guy named Luke wrote this book, a Gentile, this is very important, a non-Jew. Because in here today, I don't know any pure Jews of the bloodline. If you are, that's awesome. But for 99.9% .9 of us in here, we're, we're Gentiles, right? So this is very important. That's because Luke wrote the book of Acts. 
And what he did was this. He started with the Gospel of Luke. He wrote to a friend named Theophilus who didn't understand, wanted to know more about Jesus and his life. So he, Luke researched as a doctor and wrote down facts and did interviews and had this amazing book that he wrote called the Gospel of Luke. But he didn't stop there. He goes on to write the book of Acts, which is a 30-year history of the early church from when Jesus resurrected all the way through, right up, right, right close to the Apostle Paul's death, around 30 to 40 years of, of the early church. And he wrote the second book to his friend, Theophilus, as well. So it's almost like he wrote this email out or wrote a book out just to a friend, and we get to look into it. And what is beautiful here, you see Christianity start with 120 Jews in Jerusalem, and it begins to explode. I mean, overnight, 3,000 people give their life to Jesus in Jerusalem. Jews are being saved left and right. Peter and James and John are leading the church, and, and, and they're seeing God move powerfully. But as we looked a few weeks ago, what happened was Jesus didn't say stay in Jerusalem. Jesus didn't tell them, see, Jews get saved. You know what Jesus told them? He said, you're going to be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you in Jerusalem, which they were at, that's good, in Judea, it's a little further out, in Samaria, they hated Samaritans. I think when Jesus said that, they thought, yeah, well, that, that's cool. We'll get there one day or maybe somebody else will do that work. And then it got worse. Then you go to the outermost parts of the earth, and every Jew knew what that meant. That meant the Gentiles. Jews did not intermix with Gentiles. Because if you were to eat with a Gentile, go have lunch with your friend who was a Gentile, you couldn't go to synagogue. You could not get into the temple. You're now unclean. You couldn't hug them, couldn't shake hands with them. They were unclean in their eyes to God. They were secondary citizens. Jews believed that they were the primary ones and looked down upon everybody else. And so this is why this is important. Because what happens is the Apostle Paul, one of the major leading Jewish preachers and teachers, he ends up getting saved. And over time, what God does for him is this Jew, I mean the tribe of Benjamin, he was pure Jew, 100%. He would have been the leading teacher. Here's what happens. God gives him the ministry to Gentiles. And him and his friend Barnabas go out. They're sent out, and they go preaching to Gentiles, and here's what they find. Number one, Gentiles, me and you, these pagans they call them, are receiving Christ by faith. Saying, I repent, I believe in Jesus as the resurrected Lord, and I surrender to him. And not only that, but they saw signs and wonders, miraculous signs of healings, people being uh, freed from demons. They saw people get filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're like, God is doing just as much in these Gentiles as he is the Jews. And Paul and Barnabas, who were Jews, started to, to think, man, God is doing something powerful. But this, this is the dilemma of the whole New Testament. The Jews were now saying, well, okay, they're getting saved and we're seeing results and this is cool. But like, what do they need to do to be fully saved? Because they're not Jews. So the Jews had 613 laws. 613. Did you imagine that? 613. And what the, what the Jewish Christians wanted to do was this. They said, okay, you Gentiles can be saved. Remember, you've never set foot in a synagogue. You've never given a sacrifice. You've never done anything Jewish. And here's what they're saying. We need you to become Jewish to become Christian. You cannot be saved unless you're Jewish. And Paul and Barnabas are like, whoa, no, 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 no. That is not the case. And there's this big argument 
in the early church. Jewish people upset with these other, other Jewish and Gentile Christians, and they're having this huge meeting called the Jerusalem Council. They all travel in, and this is the most important meeting that we see in the New Testament. So in Acts 15, that's what we're going to jump in today, is they're going to meet and talk about this, and this is key to understanding the rest of the New Testament. Acts 15, 4 says this, When they all arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. This is very important because many of them were mad at Paul and Barnabas. Some of the Jewish Christians in these churches were going around saying that they're, don't listen to them. You need Gentiles, you need to follow the Jewish law. So when they came in and they were welcomed, that was huge. And then Paul and Barnabas, says they, reported everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees, that's those Jewish guys I was telling you about, stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. Every man in that room that day went, oh no, Shawty, we ain't doing that. Uh-uh, I'm out. Like, we just ask you to serve here at Thrive. Just about, like, like, hey, after church today, dudes, all the dudes, if you're not Jewish, line up in the back, we're doing circumcision. This is, there's a lot on the line. This is really important here. Like, they're, they're like, no, 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 no. Uh, verse 6 says, so the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. At that meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. And this is important that Peter did it, not Paul. Because Peter, his ministry was to the Jews, fully Jewish. He was the, one of the closest followers to Jesus. And here's what he says uh, to them. And remember, remember, he had that vision. Remember, he was praying and God showed him the vision to not call unclean what is clean. And then the guy showed up to him and began to, to say, hey, you, you know, the Lord has told this to you and confirmed it. So this is huge here. He says, brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so they could hear the good news and believe. For God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, meaning the Jews. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God? This is power. Why are you challenging God? This is, that's a strong statement. By burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors will be able to bear. He's saying, hey, look, we couldn't live up to the law. We couldn't obey all 600. That's why we needed Jesus. So now why are you doing this to them? For we believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. And everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. When they had finished, James stood and said, Brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take them for a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophet predicted. Now, I love what James does here, because he brings their own scriptures into them. Like the law and the prophets, the Torah, the Old Testament was their scriptures. And look what he says here. He actually quotes. He says, as it is written, afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it, so the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. He got them right there all those I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken. He who made these things uh, known so long ago, and so my judgment is this, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Let's not make it difficult. Instead, we should write 
uh, to tell them to abstain. And this is the three things that they were asking, just three things. I have 613 laws. They narrowed down three things. To abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, or four things actually, times the two last ones, eating the meat of strangled animals and from consuming blood. I don't think the fourth one needs to be told, right? Hey, you've just given your life to Jesus. Do you mind not going around drinking blood anymore? Has, have any of you ever had that problem? Our prayer team will be up front after service, and you can get prayed for if you have a problem just drinking blood all the time. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure why they were consuming blood, but that's gross. That should not have been in there, but I guess they had to say it. There's always somebody in the room you got to make a rule for, right? <laughs> for these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. What I want to talk to you about today is two of the most important doctrines of Christianity. That if you understand this, this is two works of grace in our life. Because what happened to the early church was they got these mixed up. They thought there was something that the Gentiles needed to do in order to be fully saved. See, that, that, that's where cults get you too. Cults will come in and say, I remember Mormons coming to me and trying to preach to me the gospel of Joseph Smith, not the, not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they came to me, I asked a question, I said, okay, I got a question for you. If Jesus saved me by grace through faith, why, what else must I do to be fully saved? Am I not fully saved by grace through faith? And they couldn't answer the question. See, many of us get things mixed up in our own life personally. And for many years, I thought my, my salvation was in jeopardy. I thought, man, if I, if, if, I, if I just wasn't living up to the full standard of Jesus every moment, then maybe I wouldn't get to heaven. And then uh, on other times, I would judge others for the very same thing. And I didn't really understand it. And I want to talk to you about two very important doctrines. I'm going to explain them to you and help you understand this. But here is what we have to understand from Acts 15. This is it, and it's here. Salvation isn't sanctification. And I'll explain that. If you're like, what does that even mean? I'm glad you asked. Salvation isn't sanctification. And so many times in the church, in our own life, we just get it mixed up. A work of grace is this. It's when God does something in your life that was undeserved and you couldn't do for yourself. Boom, he meets you in that, and he does a powerful work in your heart. And in Christianity, two of the most important works of grace have been salvation and sanctification. The third work of grace is just being filled with the Holy Spirit. God just filling you up and using you. But the two most important, what separated us from Catholicism, what separates us from Catholics is this. We believe that you're saved by grace through faith, right? The other doctrine, amen, that was very important. The other doctrine is this. The other doctrine is, is sanctification. And I want to explain that to you because these two are so important. They're works of grace in our life that if you don't understand them and you get them mixed up, it can make it hard on yourself and hard on others. And that's what happened to Acts 15. They were saying, you're not fully saved unless you do X, Y, and Z, and that's not Christianity. That is something way different than Christianity. And so here it is. Salvation is this. If you have your notes handy, write this down. Salvation is being saved from our sins and being made right with God by faith. If I ask you today, how are you saved? Well, I don't really know. That's not a good answer. The next back, well, I think so. I'm a good person. I do good stuff, that's not the right answer. Like when you stand in front of Jesus Christ and you stand in front of him and he says, why should I let you to my kingdom? If you're like, well, you know, I, I went to church and man, I really enjoyed the sermons and you know, and you, or, you know, I think I'm a good person. 
You know, I mean, I, I hope I did good things. You're not getting in. Because salvation is understanding that you are, and I am a sinner. I was a, a complete sinner. And that God made me right with him, completely, 100% right by, through faith in Christ. And here's what Ephesians uh, 2.8 says in 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. Can't take any credit for it. You can't get in front of Jesus and say, Jesus, I did so Man, that, that mission trip. I bought T-shirts. I bought barbecue. Let me in, bro. Bought two pounds of that barbecue. Salvation is not a reward. It's a gift of God. It's not a reward for the good things we have done. Heaven's not a reward for you being a good person. That's not what heaven is. Like, like that, that's not heaven. It says, so none of us can boast about it. Salvation is being made so being saved from our sins and being made right with God by faith. My brother, I remember I first led him to Jesus, and I've shared this story before, but when I talked to him about Christ, he said, well, I'll do that in the future, but I need to get some things right first. I need to, get, you know, I, I just need to clean some things up. My language is kind of bad and drink a little too much and blah, blah, and I said, I said, Daniel, that's, that's not what it's about. And all I could think of, that day he gave me a pair of Rockport shoes, and he gave those, a brand new pair to me. And I pulled those Rockport shoes out. We were in his office at the concrete plant. And I said, Daniel, I said, um, how much do I owe you for these? He said, no, man, you're my brother. They're free. I love you. I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to pay for these. I refuse to accept it. He says, stop. He says, why, why are you bringing this up? I said, because this is what you're doing to God. Salvation is just taking the shoes and saying, thank you so much, I receive it. Thank you, it's a free gift. The moment you pay for something, it's not a gift anymore. Well, can you imagine being at Christmas and you guys are exchanging gifts? You're like, all right, uh, Uncle Bob, how, how much did this cost? I'm going to pay you back. You're like, what's wrong with you? Like, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be gifts anymore. That's what salvation is. It's a free gift that you can't work for. You give God your sin. You give God the terrible parts of you. You give God this dirty, rotten sinner, and God says, free gift of salvation. You get the Holy Spirit. You get purpose. You get a plan for you. You get relationship with me through Christ. But here's the second part. It's not just salvation, but it's sanctification. This is where we really start messing it up. And sanctification is something very important that many of you will never get to in your life because you'll choose not to. God wants to sanctify you. I want to talk about that. I know this is old school stuff here, but can I tell you something? This stuff will change your life. Sanctification is growing in our faith and eliminating sin. It's a growing in the Lord and eliminating sin in your life. Because as you grow in Christ, as you read the scriptures, you start becoming aware that you can't do that anymore. You can't run with those people anymore. You can't talk like that anymore. You can't watch that anymore. Like you can't. Sanctification is where God begins to awaken your heart, and you go, boom, whoa, I had no idea that was wrong. God, that's crazy. And you're reading the Bible, God, I'm so sorry. And then, you know what? That is still happening to me today, 23 years later as a believer, still growing in the grace of the Lord. And here's what Paul says in Romans 6 about sanctification. He says this, for we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. So that, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. 
We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. You know what sin is? Sin is not just messing up. And God's not trying to pull you over and give you a ticket. Say, oh, yeah, you did that wrong. Sin is not getting to experience the fullness of what it means to live in Christ, to fully enjoy the Lord, to fully enjoy community, to fully experience every good thing that God has for you. Sin is brokenness in humanity. Sin is what, whenever you see the shootings that we saw this week, sadly enough, in our own community again, that's sin. That's people that are separated from the life of God. They're living in darkness. And friends, for us as believers, once you give your life to Christ, God is not mad at you. He wants to pull those things out of your life so you can enjoy, and you can enjoy relationship and fellowship with him and with others. To sanctify means to set apart, to be special. And the more that you grow in sanctification, you're eliminating sin, eliminating sin, growing, growing. You know, you eliminate all the bad attitudes you have. Then you eliminate all the things, the physical things, the addictions, the things that hurt you and hurt others. And as you do that, God just keeps setting you apart for his kingdom. That's sanctified. You know, my son and I throw football all the time. He just loves to go outside and throw football. My favorite things. I've, I've been waiting for that for years, right? And he's actually good enough now that we can throw and catch together. And the other day he was asking me, he says, hey, Dad, can, can, we, get, can we get your football out and can we throw this football? This football is a Dan Marino signed football that was given to me as a gift. There's only 400 in the world. Dan Marino was my favorite quarterback growing up. Like, I just, I loved how fiery he was and passionate he was. And man, I just, Dan Marino was my everything. And my son said, why can't we throw the Dan Marino football? I said, son, because it's, because it's, it's special. It's unique. It's set apart. And I'm going to keep it set apart. In the same way, when you begin to eliminate sin in your life and choose to follow Jesus and choose to be all in for Jesus and you start reading the scriptures and responding to the scriptures and obeying the Lord Jesus, what happens is you start being special and set apart. And God can do things in your life, I'm telling you, that you never thought. I don't care how old or young you are, God can use you in amazing ways the more that you pursue sanctification. Amen? But here's, here's the problem. You have salvation and sanctification. Salvation is a free gift from God, right? He gives it to you. And sanctification is a work he starts doing in your heart when you want to please the Lord. But here's where we mess up at. And here's my fear. If we get these mixed up, then we will ask people to try to become right with God through their works. If you get it mixed up, because that's what was happening in Acts 15. They said, oh, you gave your life to Jesus? That's great. Now do this, 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 and this, and you'll be, you'll be great. You'll really be right with God then. And that happened to me when I first gave my life to Jesus. Like, there, there, there were well-meaning Christians, and this is back 23 years ago in the rural south, so take it into context, who wanted to get me to become part of their culture. I mean, I had leopard print hair, piercings, got tattoos, I skateboarded, I played punk rock music. I didn't own a suit, like everybody in church had a suit. I didn't own one. I looked nothing like them. I didn't listen to their music. I listened to Christian music, 
So here's what they did over time. They said, Kevin, I'm so glad you're saved. Now, if we can get you, just get your hair all one color. Get those earrings out of your ears. If we can just, you know, just kind of just clean up that music. I, I don't really like the way that sounds. I was like, well, and, and I'll say, yeah, but I have more scripture in my music than you do your little K-pop, K-love, whatever it's called. What's it called? That little watered-down junk that's on the radio? I said, man, this is straight scripture. You want me to read it to you? But what they wanted to do, they wanted to redeem me to their culture of what they expected from me and because of their life. And that's what we do as well. Oh, great, you got saved? Well, here are all my convictions that you need to live to right now. Right now, take them all. And if not, I'm not sure you're fully saved. And that's what we end up doing to each other. You, your, your relationship with Christ is a process and a journey. And the worst thing that I could do for you, and this is the worst thing you can do for somebody, especially if you're mature, if you consider yourself mature in here, is to go and say, now, here's what God's doing in my heart today. Here's where I'm at today. Do what I do. Copy my life now. Not realizing, looking back 23 years ago, there was things God did in my life then that he had to get rid of first so we could ever get to the things he is today in my life. And if you, if you get salvation and sanctification mixed up, you will ask people to get rid of your piercings, then you'll be fully saved. Get your hair colored right to be fully saved. Do all this, you'll get fully saved. And that's a problem. I'll never forget working with someone in ministry one time, and there was someone who got water baptized, and we knew their story. And they'd given their life, they, they, they professed faith in Christ. They turned from their sins and professed faith, but they still had some issues, pretty serious issues. And he said, I refuse to let them get water baptized. I said, why? He said, because they need to get rid of all that first. I said, oh, time out. I said, oh, oh, oh. I said, so how, how, how will they get saved? Well, well, they're not really fully saved yet until they get rid of all of that. I said, that's not Christianity. Christianity is not you getting rid of a bunch of stuff and then doing good stuff. Christianity is you accepting Christ, you repenting, and then it's a journey from then all out of eliminating sin over and over. But you're saved. And if you're sitting here questioning your salvation because you still have issues, that is the enemy. You are fully saved. And so here's what you have to understand here about salvation, and here's what we have to do. Don't work for salvation, work out salvation. You don't work for salvation, you work out salvation. And here's what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. He said, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. He was more, he was really proud of the church at Philippi. He says, now that I'm away, it's even more important. And look what he says. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Did he say work hard to be saved? Well, Kevin, well, well, does that mean you can get saved and do whatever you want to do? No. Look what he says. Work hard to show the results of it. If Christ has, is really in your heart, the Holy Spirit is really inside of you, there will be a progression. There will be a growth. And here's what, amen? And he says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. And I love this. This is the key right here. And this is, we, we should all take a collective sigh of relief as you read this in verse 13. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. 
God is working in you to give you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Isn't that beautiful? That's what, sanctification is not you working harder to please God. It's you yielding more and saying, God, I can't do this. Matter of fact, if you're wondering, well then, with, with salvation, as I said before, does it mean I can do anything I want to if I get saved? Because I have grace? Let me say this here. If, if you don't struggle and you're not convicted of your sin, that's when I would then say, let's talk about what's your salvation experience. It's not the fact that you have sin in your life. Everybody does, right? And maybe you have more sin than others, right? That's fine. Stop beating yourself up. Here's, here would be my question. Does it drive you crazy that that's still in your life? Does it bring you to your knees in prayer? Do you want it out of your life, or do you love it, and you laud it, and you're like, man, this is great. It's all about, a, a true believer of Christ will have the Holy Spirit in them to do two things. The Holy Spirit does two things. He convicts of sin and convinces of righteousness. He will convict you and say, come on, man, no, 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 we don't, we don't need to do that. You, you're living that less than life. Don't do that. But he doesn't stop there. He says, because, he convinces you of right, because you are right with God and you're a child of God, you, you are made for way more than that. He convicts and he convinces. And that's where true faith comes in. And I want to share with you what true faith is. And there are three things I want to share with you quickly today. And it's this, true faith has corresponding actions. If you're really saved and you know the Lord, that means this, your faith will produce actions. Faith produces actions. Actions do, never produces faith. And so what happens is, if you really know the Lord, uh, faith without works is what? Dead. Meaning that true faith without corresponding actions is not true faith. And so the more you grow in the Lord, the more it produces these actions in your life. The more you grow, you seek God. It's not you get rid of it and then you grow closer to God. It's as you grow closer, God begins to work in you to give you the power to do what pleases Him. The second thing is this. True faith is God working in you versus you working for God. That's what true faith is. Working hard for the Lord. Well, you know, that's, God never asked you to do that. God asks that you would open your heart so he can work in your, in your heart. Open your heart so he can work in the heart. That's what he asks. And as you do that, he begins to produce those things in you. And you begin to eliminate sin that you, you never thought you would ever be free from. When you, when you confess when you confess to people and confess to God your sin, it is free. And you know what God does? He, free. he begins to empower you to live a life you could never imagine. And I want to encourage somebody in here today. I mean, I'm going to be very honest with you. There's probably many men struggling with pornography in here, and you're beat up. And you haven't told a soul, a soul about it. When you decide to not only just confess to God, but to confess to other men about it, God will do something in your life that you've never seen happened before. I want to encourage you in that. Amen? And finally, it's this. True faith trust in Christ's finished work over our works. Either you're going to elevate your work or Christ's finished work. See, in Matthew 7, Jesus says that there are people who will come to God in that day and say, he'll say, why shall I let you in? He'll say, Lord, Lord, did not we do many mighty works in your name? We cast out devils in your name. We did this in your name. We did so much for you. And then Jesus says this. He says, then the Lord will look at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. 
That's scary, isn't it? Oh, man, me, I served on the host team, God. I preached sermons. I did so much good for you. People got saved. Man, Lord, I, I served the kids' ministry. I went on mission trips. I did all that. Bill said, I never knew you. There was never a relationship. You never opened my word and wanted to hear what I had to say to you. You never, you never saw me. You never knew me. You never had a relationship with me. You worked for me. You did things for me. But you never had a relationship with me. And friends, can I tell you that what happened in Acts 15 were some men standing up in boldness and saying, the relationship is what matters most, not your preset laws that you've made for them. Because they knew, Paul and Barnabas knew these pagans who were far from God, that when they tasted of the Lord and were filled with the Holy Spirit, that God, he, they saw God change their life. It was salvation and relationship produced a sanctified life. And I want to encourage, I want to invite you into that. The Lord not only wants to save you if you're not saved, and it's simple, it's just receiving Him. Today you'll get a chance to do that. But for some of you as believers, it's time for you to ask the Lord to work in your heart like never before, to yield yourself to Him, to seek Him and eliminate those things in your life through His power. But can I tell you this, as we live here, please don't ever send a mixed signal to non-believers. As we leave here, don't ever send a mixed signal that they need to stop doing anything before they get saved. Repentance verbally happens first, right? Because you can't just quit everything overnight. You repent, you turn, and then they receive Christ, and then God will do the rest. And how do I know that? Because I had the gospel of works preached to me my whole life, a southern Christian. Son, you stop drinking, you stop smoking and chewing and running with those who are doing it all the time. And I thought I was never good enough for that little social club called church. Maybe one day I can, I can be good enough to, to, to actually go there and I can actually be accepted. And I've told the story before that a young man told me one day, I was in a bathroom at ECU coughing up phlegm from smoking blunts all night. He told me, he said, I, he said, man, he said, um, come to Jesus. He loves you. You, know, you should get saved. Like I told him how awesome I was at smoking blunts, right? Blew me away. I said, hey man, I said, I'm going to do that one day. But I, I, I need to clean some things up first. He said, no, you don't. He said, come to him and he'll clean you up. And that's what happened in my life. Thank God for that young man that, that in one moment undid all that junk that I heard from well-meaning Christians who were trying to get me sanctified before I even got saved. Let's don't send that signal, man. We're, the world needs the, the, the unconditional love and acceptance of Christ as they turn to him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray this morning. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father, we come to you. And we ask you that you would fill us with your spirit today. Help us to be filled with you, Lord, so we could live for you. But Lord, there are some nagging sins that people have privately that you're going to free them from. That this time next year, they're going to talk about freedom and what you've done in their life, Lord, because of your power. And so we ask for that. And we pray, Lord, you would help us to understand we are fully saved by grace through faith. Nothing we can do. No work. And God, help us to yield to you, to be sanctified, to live fully for you, to be set apart for you, Lord, to be used for the master's use. I pray for that, Lord. 
And as we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, maybe uh, you want to give your life to Christ today. Maybe you're saying, you know what? I, I want to be saved. I thought salvation was like coming to church and being, I didn't know I just needed to, to, to like confess and pray and receive Christ. It was that easy. I thought it was a lot of stuff I had to do first. If that was your misconception, then today is your day. It was mine too. It's this simple. If you want to receive Christ and be fully right with God, pray this prayer after me, right where you're sitting. Whether you're in here today physically or online, pray this prayer. You say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner, but I believe that Jesus is Lord. I receive him as my Lord today. I repent of my old life. I turn. I receive new life. For I believe he died on the cross. And I believe Jesus rose again on the third day. And today I receive full forgiveness of sins. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's celebrate with everyone who made that decision today. Amen.